Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Norma, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Workshop. And the title is Managing the Cost of Living with Cancer, such an important topic in today's world. Um, and today's program is supported by an educational grant from Daiichi Sanko, Inc., and, and by Takeda Oncology. And we have so many of you on the call today. Um, there are over um, 371 participants on the call today, so a lot of you on the call today, 371 people from all of the United States, from all different regions and parts of the country, both rural, urban, and suburban. And we also have a number of international participants as well, um, from Australia, Canada, Croatia, India, Iraq, Laos, Singapore, Turkey, Venezuela, and the UK. So there's a bit of a global call as well. And uh, we are delighted to have so many of you on the call today um, addressing this really very important topic for us. Um, uh, and, uh, and before we start the call, um, we are going to um, uh, have have some questions, some two questions for those of you who are live streaming. We'll take just a moment to complete them. And um, the first question is, I know all the medical and indirect costs of cancer treatment. And you can see that if you're live streaming and you can either hit yes or no. And then there is a second question. And the second question is, I know all the resources for financial help, including federal, state, local, and veterans resources. Yes or no? Okay. All right, and um, thank you for all participating in that, that the information really is very helpful to us to understand what you know coming into this uh, program today. And um, now our first speaker today is Dr. Leonard Saltz. Dr. Saltz is medical oncologist, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, professor of medicine while Cornell Medical College. And Dr. Saltz will be addressing an overview of the medical and indirect costs of treatment in the context of COVID-19 and what to do when cancer treatment seems unaffordable. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Saltz. Well, hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you today. Um, the topic that we're covering is one that people tend to feel uncomfortable about. And one of the points that I'm going to try to make uh, with you over the next uh, five or six minutes or so is that you owe it to yourself to get comfortable talking about your concerns, whatever your concerns might be. It could be the concern about um, what side effects you're going to get, concern about how well the treatment is going to work. All of those are the things that people are more typically um, uh, comfortable expressing to their doctor. We have a tendency in our society to be uncomfortable about talking about cost, 
talking about price, talking about uh, whether or not I can afford it, talking about what are my options. And in all of these situations, it's really important that you understand that doctors, nurses, caregivers are used to talking about things that might otherwise seem uncomfortable. And you need to bring these topics up. Um, if you are worried about how you're going to afford uh, the price of your medicines, if you're worried about what your insurance covers and doesn't cover, if you're worried about uh, what are your choices and are some choices more um, uh, available than others, um, then um, those are things that you have to be willing to talk to the doctor. Now, some people say, well, I'm uncomfortable talking to the doctor. The doctor may be um, uh, unable to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to talk to me about the price. Well, remember, you're going to talk to the doctor about how you feel. You're going to talk to the doctor about um, the. Um, uh, you're going to talk to the doctor about um, the, uh, the 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 situation of. Um, Uh, of, of what you can uh, tolerate in terms of treatment, what's going to happen, you have to be willing to say uh, to the doctor, I am worried about, um, uh, about the costs. What can I do to accommodate this? What choices are there? What options are there? Now, this is made that much more complicated, perhaps, by the reality that we're all experiencing of this COVID-19 uh, epidemic. Um, this has changed medicine in ways that none of us ever imagined. And for some people, the word COVID uh, may be as scary or scarier than the word cancer, and it starts to uh, interfere with decisions about how best to treat uh, your cancer. So these, again, are things that you need to be willing to discuss with your doctor. What are my risks in getting the treatment? What are my risks in getting uh the, um, uh, in, in coming to a clinic, uh, to what degree will a treatment affect or not affect my risk of COVID? To what degree do I need to isolate myself or uh, take precautions beyond what would uh, normally be done? These are the topics that um, don't have simple answers, but they are the basis for important discussion and the basis of what um, you'll need to be able uh, to speak to your doctor about. Um, one of the things that has changed uh, and that you'll hear more about shortly is the availability of telemedicine. Um, and the, um, the possibility that a significant amount of your care can be done over video um, without you needing to travel. Um, this does create some options that are favorable for you. Um, it also may uh, be a compensation for lack of direct uh, face one-on-one -on -one time with your caregivers, uh, and that is something that you'll have to learn to compensate for. Uh, so these are the kinds of topics that uh, you'll, you'll need to be thinking about, discussing with your, your doctor, discussing with your other caregivers, uh, and being open to 
different possibilities because rarely in cancer is there one right answer. There's often a number of different possibilities and you have to reach out um, for the resources available to figure out the best possibility for you. Um, those are basically the uh, comments that I uh, wanted to make uh, at this introductory part. I'm going to turn it over to my colleagues and be happy to uh, follow up with questions uh, at the end of the session. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Saltz. That was outstanding, really just a wonderful presentation, a wonderful setting the stage for today's program as well, so thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Richard Grawler. Dr. Grawler is Professor of Medicine, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, Jacoby Medical Center. And Dr. Grawler will be addressing and talking with your healthcare team about your financial concerns and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments to, to decrease your exposure to COVID-19. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Grawler. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn, and let me also extend my greetings to all on the call and to say how pleased I am to join you and my colleagues. My topics for today involve that remarkably important concept, communication. I'm going to expand on some of the ideas that Dr. Col uh, Dr. Saltz has introduced to us. First, telehealth, televisits, and telemedicine are new words for all of us. They reflect a newer take on an old concept, visiting with your doctor and healthcare team. Of course, we have been making phone calls to the doctor or the office for years and years. And telemedicine has been used quite successfully in the past in places where distances are great, populations are small, and medical care is often not readily available. What is new here are two basic ideas. Having the televisit become the planned total visit in places that may have medical resources already, and secondly, enhancing communication by adding technology, specifically video. A recent survey indicated that 90% of people liked the concept of televisits, but that most people did not want this to become the only way of having medical visits. All very reasonable. There is no complete replacement for inpatient patient care, for in-person care. The physical examination plus the many intangibles that we're all familiar with in lots of aspects of life. But as indicated by the 90% of people who report positive experiences with televisit, this modern concept has worked pretty well. Clearly, the COVID pandemic has driven this broader use of telemedicine. Medical care in general and cancer care in particular have focused on how do we provide excellent care while at the same time reducing exposure in this time of the pandemic. Telemedicine is one of those tools. In preparing for a televisit, there's a few things to keep in mind. First, technology. Do not let technology get in the way. Please do not be concerned. If you happen to have a computer with a reasonable Wi-Fi connection and usually a built-in video camera, you may be fine. But even most smartphones today work very well indeed, and they all have necessary cameras. Your healthcare team can often guide you into making this fairly easy. A friend or relative might help if needed in setting this up as well. You may find that the video aspect helps you feel closer to the healthcare team and aids the physical exam part to some degree. 
that's great. But if setting up the video portion is not easy or comfortable for you, please do not be concerned. Simply communicating by phone, no computer or fancy software involved, works pretty well in most circumstances. Make it easy on yourself. You have enough concerns as is. Of course, with video or not, it is possible that the televisit may not be sufficient and your doctor or health team will advise you of this. Or you may feel the need for more. There will be times when the televisit is not enough and there will be times that various tests or imaging exams may also be necessary, all which may prompt a usual in-person visit, which you can discuss the necessity of this with your healthcare team. Please note that your cancer center has taken many major steps to reduce exposure and risk, both at the office and by having televisits. I must say that I find that televisits, even just by phone, are often quite good, and my patients tell me the same. There's one additional aspect of technology that you may not be aware of. As it happens, just in time for the pandemic, most doctors and hospitals had already in place electronic medical records. This means that your doctor and team likely has the ability from any secure computer to have access to your healthcare records or medical chart. This is really helpful. Test results, biopsy reports, x-ray results, notes from other doctors, past medical visits, and much more are immediately available, just as if you and your doctor were sitting together, even if you and your doctor are not in the office. This really helps with televisits. And just as with a regular medical visit, think ahead about what you want to take away from the visit, from the televisit. Your healthcare team will have in mind what they wish to know, but they can't always anticipate all your needs or concerns. What questions might you have? What concerns or issues might you wish to discuss, including financial issues? Making a list might be a nice plus. Please have any medicines that you take available so that they can be reviewed or renewed if necessary or altered. Did you see or talk with another healthcare individual? Are there family or, again, financial issues? Have a calendar available and think about future dates or days of the week for follow-up appointments that work best for you and your family. Just a short plan about what you would like to gain from the visit can be so very helpful. Now, whether it involves televisits or in-person visits, communication is key. And communicating any financial concerns is both relevant and important. Dr. Saltz has illustrated for us the many complications and important concepts involved. I'm going to reinforce some of the points he so ably outlined. Proper communication helps to unlock the door to key resources for you. How could any individual be expected to be aware of what resources are available for cancer care in this complex world of healthcare? They are, these individuals are knowledgeable and experienced and they can be helpful to all of us. Now there are people uh, in many different countries uh, who are on this call today and you have to recognize that these resources differ by different countries as does healthcare coverage. So there'd be no way that we could cover all of these in one call. So indeed, communicate whatever country you're in with your healthcare team. It is said that there are two areas that are very difficult to discuss in polite conversation, religion and finances. Everything else seems to have fewer taboos. 
Dr. Saltz used the word uncomfortable. It's so true. We can all identify with, with it. We discuss so much with our doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and social workers. Financial concerns are real and can be barriers. So to get the most from your cancer care, it's necessary to discuss these issues. Often social workers are particularly skilled and knowledgeable in this area, or an office may have financial counselors. Your doctor, nurse, or social worker can guide you to the right person if needed. In fact, while the finances may be very complicated, you might be well covered already and can be relieved by knowing that fact. And if there are issues, discussing this may reveal significant resources that one should take advantage of. I'm really looking forward to the presentations of Ms. Babayeva, Ms. McCourt, and Ms. Chatalian to outline specific areas that can be benefit to all to help us understand about available resources. And now I'd like to turn the program back to Carolyn Nestor. Carolyn? Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Grala. Um, that's a wonderful presentation. Thank you. And um, uh, uh, thank you so much for that. And uh, we do look forward to the Q&A. I know there'll be lots of questions, so thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Julie Bavieva, and Ms. Bavieva is an attorney. Um, she is the Coordinating Attorney, Cancer Advocacy Project, Legal Health, New York Legal Assistance Group, or NILAC. And she'll be addressing some really important topics for all of you, um, access to health plans, Medicare and Medicaid coverage, the benefits and limitations of your health plans, insurance, Medicare and Medicaid coverage, Tips on appealing your insurance, Medicare claims, and provider denials, and living wills, healthcare proxies, and advanced healthcare directives. And I also just want to remind all of you that in addition to this live program, it will be archived as a podcast within a day, so you'll be able to hear it or on telephone replay. So as much as you, I want you to listen carefully. Nevertheless, um, you'll have a chance to listen to it again and again as you need to. Um, so I'm now with great, uh, it's my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed co colleague, Ms. Pavieva. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and I'm very pleased to be a part of this workshop with all of you. I'll first be discussing how to access and understand both the benefits and limitations of your health coverage. To understand your health coverage, it's important to know that there are different types of insurance plans. For example, there are private insurances, which include group plans from employment and unions. There are policies available through the Affordable Care Act, or ACA, via the state marketplace. And of course, there's Medicare and Medicaid. The type of plan you have is going to determine the type of laws and rules that apply regarding coverage, eligibility, and appeals. The insurance laws of your state may also require certain minimum benefits, so your rights may vary depending on where you live. As a start, the most important advice I can give is to read a copy of your policy. You can also contact your insurance company directly with questions about coverage and its limits. Is your policy an HMO, which allows only in-network doctors, or a PPO or a POS, which allow for out-of-network doctors, but often at a reduced reimbursement rate? With an HMO, you usually have a copayment and sometimes a deductible, but no other financial burden if your doctor is in-network. With other policies, your out-of-network doctor can bill you directly for any amount not paid by your insurance. Understanding the policy can help you make informed decisions about your medical care and avoid surprise bills. Because the Affordable Care Act increased protections, insurers must sell and renew insurance regardless of health status. Most insurers can no longer refuse coverage of pre-existing conditions. 
Insurance companies can't limit the dollar amount they will pay for medical costs over the year or your lifetime. However, some policies that existed before 2010 are grandfathered, meaning they do not have to comply with the ACA. Additionally, a health insurance marketplace operates in every state where you can compare different plan benefits, see if you're entitled to lower your costs through subsidies, and determine if you're eligible for free coverage under Medicaid. You can access this information at the federal site healthcare.gov, where you can compare policies and costs and find answers to many questions. All these plans cover essential health benefits. These include outpatient and emergency services, prescriptions, hospitalizations, mental health, preventative care, and more. It's important to remember that even with ACA expansions, all policies can still restrict coverage by limiting the number of physical therapy visits, home nursing, or mental health visits per year. Major medical procedures, PET scans, and MRIs may also require preauthorization. Therefore, it's important to check with your doctor's office to confirm. Health insurance is essentially a contract. You and your employer agree to pay a set premium, participate in cost sharing, and follow the guidelines. In return, your health insurer agrees to cover certain services in your policy and those required by law. The full insurance policy is called the Certificate of Coverage and can be a lengthy document. Your insurance company or employer must provide you with a copy if you ask for it. The most important advice I can give is that although it can be daunting, you should read a copy of your summary of benefits, which breaks down your cost sharing and basis of your policy, as well as the Certificate of Coverage, which outlines your benefits, coverage limits or exclusions, prior authorization requirements, and the appeals process. Now, I would like to speak about Medicare. It is a federal program that uniform, with uniform rules in all 50 states, and it is primarily available to people age 65 or older who are citizens or permanent residents of the U.S. If under 65, it is available to those who have been receiving Social Security disability for 24 months. Medicare coverage consists of several parts. Part A provides free hospital coverage. Part B provides medical coverage but requires a monthly premium. And Part D is the prescription drug insurance plan. There's also Part C, which allows private health insurance companies, such as HMOs, to provide benefits. These are known as Medicare Advantage plans and are chosen in lieu of Parts B and D. Medicare Parts A and B do not cover the entire cost of medical treatment, usually only to a maximum of 80%. So to supplement Medicare, you can purchase additional Medicare GAP policies. I should point out that these policies are exempt from ACA requirements. Some do have pre-existing condition exclusions, so make sure to read these plans carefully. Access to these supplements and their costs varies state to state. Medicare rules are complicated, and I advise my clients to speak to an expert. Medicare Rights Center is a nonprofit which helps navigate the complexities. They have an interactive and helpful website at medicarerights.org. Please also visit medicare.gov for more information. Now more on Medicaid. Medicaid is a partnership between the state and federal government with shared authority and financing. Eligibility rules are established mainly by each state and vary depending on where you live. Medicaid is free and is needed for many people with cancer because it covers home nursing, home aids, and nursing home care. To be eligible, you must fall below the income and asset limits set forth by Medicaid laws. If you are over 65 or disabled but have a higher income, you may become eligible through special Medicaid programs. 
Medicaid plans with higher income limits are also offered in many states for patients with certain types of cancer or for working people with disabilities. As I mentioned earlier, one application on the marketplace can determine your eligibility for Medicaid or another health plan, as well as any subsidies or premiums. Many people with Medicare apply for Medicaid to cover the 20% of costs that Medicare does not cover. This eliminates the need to buy into a Medicare gap policy discussed earlier, but only if your income is within the eligible limit. Now I'd like to speak about appeals. Your insurance company is required to provide an explanation of benefit, or EOB, for each claim. The EOB outlines the service, amount paid by your insurance, your required contribution, and, if a claim is denied, the reason for this denial. You have the right to request a full copy of your insurance file prior to appeal to see how the decision was made, including notes made by the case handler and any reports by the insurance company doctor. Sometimes claims are denied for administrative reasons that are easy to fix. You should email or call your insurer and keep track of any correspondence by writing down the date and name of the representative you spoke with. If the matter cannot be resolved this way, you can file an appeal. After reading your policy, clearly document in writing the reasons you disagree with the insurance company. Include medical records and a letter from your doctor. Your insurance company must conduct a full and fair review of its decision within 30 days. If you're worried that your insurance company is not complying with the law or the terms of the policy, you can file a complaint with your state insurance department, attorney general's office, or the Department of Labor. If your insurance company denies this appeal, you have the right to request an external review. This is a second level of appeal to an independent panel, no matter where you live and what type of health insurance you have. This means that medical professionals with no financial stake in the claim make the decision. If the external reviewer overturns your insurer's denial, your insurer must provide the payments or services in your claim. It's important to pay attention to timing in filing an appeal, as there are very strict deadlines which are indicated in the denial usually 180 days if you have a policy from your employer, but can be as little as 60 days on denials from Medicaid or Medicare. The good news is that around half of all denied claims that are appealed are reversed. An external review reversal rate is even higher. It's often difficult to keep on top of insurance matters with so much else going on, but with an understanding of what your rights and responsibilities are, as well as help from your medical team, government resources, and groups such as cancer care, you should be able to navigate any insurance issues or questions that may come up. Lastly, I would like to discuss advanced directives. These are documents that allow you to decide in advance what medical care to receive, who you choose to communicate with your medical team, or if you become unable to do so, who you choose to handle your financial matters. The laws regarding the rights granted by these documents vary by state, so the following is general information. A healthcare proxy allows you to name an agent to make healthcare decisions for you. It's important that the proxy be executed while someone is able to understand what the document means, as it does not take effect until a person is unable to communicate their wishes to their doctor. Many states have surrogate decision-making laws that define who can make decisions for you. Although the laws are helpful, it is best for you to have a choice in who you trust with these decisions. As long as you're able to make your own healthcare decisions, your doctor will discuss them with you. Next, I would like to talk about the living will. It's a statement of one's wishes with respect to potential end-of-life medical care decisions and can serve as guidance to your healthcare agent and healthcare providers. The living will is different from a proxy 
in that it sets forth on paper your wishes with regard to artificial respiration, CPR, artificial nutrition, and invasive procedures. It's important to remember that a living will applies only when it is determined that the patient is in an incurable or irreversible condition with no reasonable expectation of recovery. It does not apply to less serious circumstances. Both the healthcare proxy and living will are simple forms to complete with witnesses required. I also want to mention the power of attorney. This form allows an individual to name an agent to handle their personal affairs during their lifetime, including banking, insurance, and other financial matters. Although a power of attorney does not cover healthcare issues, it is very useful if you need a trusted person to help navigate your insurance, government, or financial systems. This form is more complex and needs to be notarized. Often, a power of attorney can circumvent the need to have a guardian appointed, which can be a long, stressful, and expensive court proceeding. This is because a power of attorney goes into effect the moment it is signed by both you and your agent and stays in effect even if you lose capacity later. This has been a lot of information, but it's important to understand what these documents are and how they help make sure that your family and your medical team can take action that is not only in your best interest, but also closely follows your wishes and autonomy. I also want to briefly mention the National Cancer Legal Services Network. It is a nationwide group of attorneys like myself who offer free legal services to advice to people with cancer. You can check to see what help may be available to you in your state at their website, mclsn.org. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Outstanding presentation. And I want to just remind everyone that any resource or website that was given as uh, was given on today's on this on this particular program and others as well, we're going to be sending you an evaluation at the end of the program, and that evaluation will include not just an evaluation, we do appreciate your feedback, but also will include any link to any website or any um, information that was given in terms of the free legal attorneys and, and about Medicare and anything else that we provided today and all the other speakers. So just rest assured um, that you'll be getting that information from us um, again as well. Thank you so much. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Michelle McCourt. Ms. McCourt is Senior Director, Cancer Care Copayment Assistance Foundation. And Ms. McCourt will be addressing what are copayment assistance programs and how to access copayment assistance programs. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. McCourt. Thank you, Carolyn. Good afternoon, everybody. As uh, Carolyn mentioned, my topic today is what are copayment assistance programs and how you can access them. What are copayment assistance programs? Cancer is an expensive illness, and even with insurance coverage, many patients are challenged with access and affordability barriers that affect their ability to start or stay on treatment. Copayment assistance programs are designed to address the financial needs of insured patients by insisting, assisting them with the copayments, coinsurance, and premiums that can be a barrier for patients to access their treatments as prescribed by their doctor. These programs serve as a safety net for patients who have no alternative resources for assistance. There are different types of copayment assistance programs available. Some are administered directly through the pharmaceutical company, and others are administered through an independent nonprofit organization. Eligibility for these programs vary depending on your diagnosis, your treatment, and the type of insurance coverage you have. Patients with private commercial insurance 
may be eligible for a program through the pharmaceutical company that manufactures their treatment. Through the reimbursement support services set up by the company, patients with private insurance may be eligible to receive a coupon where the most they may have to pay for the prescription is $25. Or they may be eligible for their copayment assistance program, which may cover the entire copay for the specific treatment through a copay card that, would, that they would present to the pharmacy for payment. Typically, these programs are offered when there is no generic equivalent available. In order to be eligible for these programs, there is usually an income criteria that has to be met, and only patients with private or commercial insurance are eligible to apply. Also, these programs are drug-specific, so you have to be prescribed a treatment manufactured by that drug company. Patients with Medicare and Medicaid are not eligible for this type of program. The other type of program is referred to as a copayment assistance foundation. Copayment assistance foundations are administered by independent nonprofit organizations and are not affiliated with the drug company. The funds are disease specific, not drug specific. In order to be eligible for this type of program, the patient must meet certain financial, medical, and insurance criteria. And if eligible, the foundation will provide financial assistance with the out-of-pocket costs associated with deductibles, copays, and coinsurance for medications used to treat the disease. For example, to be eligible for Cancer Care's Copayment Assistance Foundation, the primary cancer diagnosis must match one of the funds that we have open. The household income must be at or below 500% of the federal poverty level. For a family with two in the household, that's approximately $86,000 per year. The patient must have insurance. Some of our funds uh, cover both private and federal insured patients, while others are limited to only patients with federal insurance, such as Medicare. Patients must be in active treatment or have a treatment plan in place. Our foundation covers all products, including generic or bioequivalent drugs, as prescribed by the treating physician to treat the primary cancer diagnosis. And the patient must be a U.S. citizen or a legal resident of the United States. Along with cancer care, there are approximately nine other national copay foundations. Cancer care is the only foundation focused solely on oncology and has funds for solid tumors and hematological cancers. Our copayment specialists are also able to put patients in touch with a cancer care social worker for immediate access to our support services. So how can you find out about these programs? The best way to find out about all of these assistance programs is to discuss these financial concerns with your healthcare team. Your healthcare team can put you in touch with a financial counselor or a social worker. You can also get in touch with organizations such as Cancer Care that provide financial resources. Another important website that keeps a current listing of assistance programs is needymeds.org. You can review our foundation's listing of available funds by visiting our website at cancercarecopay.org. The foundations rely on donations and are limited based on the amount of funding available. If you have been referred to a foundation, get in touch with them right away to start the application process because funding um, funds will open and close quickly at various times throughout the year. I did want to mention one thing. When you have private insurance, um, we are aware that some states 
uh, and some insurance providers are restricting the use of copay coupons and even copay assistance through pharmaceutical companies. These are referred to as copay accumulators. These accumulator programs have unintended consequences for cancer patients as well as people with rare and chronic conditions. Basically, copay accumulators restrict the manufactured coupon from counting towards the patient's deductible and out-of-pocket maximum. In the past, if you were using a coupon, you might pay a $25 copay, but the full amount that you would normally have to pay or the full retail value of that medication still went toward your deductible. Now, if your plan uses accumulators, since the patient didn't pay for the prescription or the whole prescription themselves, the plan does not count the retail value um, as the patient's out-of-pocket expense, therefore making it harder to reach the deductible and harder to access that medication. So you definitely want to check within your plan to see if they, um, if they use copay accumulators. And I just wanted to make mention of that. Thank you. I will now turn it back over to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, um, uh, Mr. Court. That was really outstanding and a wonderful resource for people. And uh, actually, uh, I know there'll be questions during the Q&A, but um, this has made a tremendous difference in the lives of so many people, these um, assistance programs. So uh, thank you so much. Um, and um, our next speaker is Ms. Lauren Chatelian. Ms. Chatelian is an oncology social worker, and she's our Women and Children's Program Manager for Cancer Care. And Ms. Chatelian will be uh, addressing the emotional and social impact of the costs of treatment and follow-up care, support for the underinsured and uninsured, including Medicaid, other resources, financial help, including Cancer Care's free psychosocial services and programs. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. As our panel of experts have shared, it can be very challenging to manage the costs associated with a cancer diagnosis. I would like to discuss ways to potentially help alleviate these associated costs and explore ways to seek financial support. When diagnosed and throughout treatment, it may be helpful to discuss any financial concern with your medical providers, as Dr. Saltz and Dr. Grala mentioned. It may also be helpful to connect with a social worker, patient navigator, as well as the financial department at the treatment center to see if there are any financial options available to you. When discussing a cancer diagnosis, I would suggest contacting your health insurance to see what your coverage entails it can be helpful to understand ahead of time which treatments and medical services your insurance covers and whether you are still responsible for any out-of-pocket expenses. This could help to prepare you for any costs related to scans and further testing, as well as an upcoming treatment regimen. When calling your insurance provider, see if a case manager can be assigned to you to help navigate your policy. Being diagnosed with cancer and not having health insurance can bring many challenges that are stressful and emotionally difficult. Feelings such as uncertainty and anxiety are very common, but these should not keep you from getting treatment. If you are in this position, it may be helpful to check in about any possible charity care programs through the treatment center or hospital. If you or your spouse are employed, see if you may be eligible to receive medical coverage. If you have had insurance but lost your job, you may be eligible for COBRA health insurance. Sometimes full-time or part-time students may be able to receive medical coverage through their college or university. 
I would also encourage to see what you are eligible for through the healthcare marketplace, as Ms. Barbelieva shared. If you are able and eligible, apply for government programs as soon as possible, such as Medicare or Medicaid. For people without insurance, the direct medical costs can be a serious obstacle to obtaining care. But even for those with insurance, most are unprepared for the out-of-pocket expense of their cancer treatment. Some of these costs can include direct medical costs, which would be prescription medication or hospital charges, also related non-medical costs, including transportation to and from treatment, the costs associated with um, gas, parking, getting to your treatments and appointments um, can be a huge challenge. Home care, home health aid, um, any related care in the home can be an additional expense, as well as medical supplies. In addition, daily living expenses, such as the cost for food, childcare, housing, and utilities, those can all be really difficult as well. Thinking about those who um, need to find childcare while receiving treatment as well. When you or a loved one has received a cancer diagnosis, finances may be the last thing you want to think about. Unfortunately, financial concerns may be a source of continuing stress for many living with a cancer diagnosis. It may be helpful to keep track of important documents and records, keeping this paperwork in one place for easy access and reference. In addition, review your household income and expenses, explore payment plans through your gas, electric, phone, or mortgage company. You could also consider seeking advice on your financial situation from a professional, such as an accountant or financial planner, as others have mentioned throughout our call today. Please know that if you are encountering financial hardships, there are organizations that can help you. Resources to find local organizations that help based upon your location and or type of cancer include a helping hand, the 2020 resource guide for people with cancer. This can be accessed online by visiting the Cancer Care website. This guide provides a list of national and local organizations and what they assist with. Also, the National Resource Guide, which can be found through the Patient Advocate Foundation on their website as well. This guide will help you identify possible organizations that may help as well. We've been talking today about the cost of your care, what to do if you're uninsured or underinsured, and the importance of creating a support network as part of that care. I would like to talk about how cancer care can be a part of your network. Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services and information to help people manage the emotional, practical, and financial challenges of cancer. Our comprehensive services include counseling and support groups, educational workshops, publications, limited financial assistance, and co-payment assistance, as Ms. McCourt shared. Cancer Care also now provides free national case management services to those diagnosed, post-treatment survivors, and caregivers affected by cancer. 
We offer a short-term strengths-based approach to case management where the social worker will work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. If you are interested in learning more about the services Cancer Care offers, I encourage you to call Cancer Care's National Hope Line at 1-800-813-4673. You'll be able to speak to one of our oncology social workers and explore the ways in which we can offer cancer-focused support and resources. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to be a part of this very informative program today. I will now turn our program back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Italian. That was outstanding. Just a wonderful presentation, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. And I just want to um, remind everyone that we are going to take, um, there are two more questions before we take, we enter the, the Q&A, and um, so I'm going to read them to you, and those of you who are live streaming will be able to see the questions as well. As a result of this workshop, I am more aware of the medical and indirect costs of cancer treatment. Yes or no? And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I know more resources for financial help, including federal, state, veterans benefits, copay, and cancer care financial assistance. Yes and no. Or you know no. And thank you for um, participating in that polling. And now we're going to move on to questions. And I'm going to ask Norma to bring all of our speakers on board. And we're going to ask you to uh, queue up and ask questions. We're going to take as many as possible. And uh, I'm going to ask Norma to explain to you how to queue up for questions. And uh, Norma? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchdown telephone. If your question has been answered or you would like to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Emil S. Your line is open. Thank you very much. Um, two things that I'd like to uh, question. One, nobody talked about clinical trials where their uh, patients are covered under the clinical trials so that it aids in the assistance of financial concerns. The other thing was Dr. Growler mentioned electronic records. Uh, originally, electronic records were supposed to be where all doctors could get your medical records, but in reality, that's not true. If you're dealing with a doctor at MSK and your internist is with uh, another hospital chain, they cannot access records from one hospital to the other. So we're still in a semi-quasi situation where uh, records have to be sent over in, by other means, by faxing or mailing. So electronic records are not 100% what they were supposed to be. Any concern, mm -hmm. any comments on that? Well, thank you. Thanks, Samuel, for your question. I'm going to ask Dr. Grawler if you could address that question to start. Sure. Um, electronic medical records, and it's a very good question, uh, uh, electronic medical records, first of all, there's the privacy concern that uh, many people have, and uh, maybe some people expected medical, electronic medical records to be available to absolutely any doctor, but they're not. Um, uh, 
it depends also on the software that institutions are using. So many uh, institutions use uh, similar software, and that can allow um, uh, um, uh, different institutions to access uh, medical records, but it's limited. So the point that I was trying to make was that your doctor can access in your system, in your healthcare system, can access your medical records that they have, which is true if the doctor's there, if you're there or not, and sometimes get information from collaborating institutions. But there would be also many privacy issues if any doctor at any time could get anyone's record as such. I, I realize that wasn't entirely the scope. So yes, you're right that if you're changing to a different system, uh, you may not have uh, uh, electronic access. But within the system where you are, if, you're, if that hospital has electronic medical records, then it's just like your doctor, wherever he or she may be, or your nurse, uh, having your chart there. Now, clinical trials. Uh, clinical trials are not really meant as a funding system for individual patients. Uh, and in fact, there shouldn't be uh, people feel an obligation to uh, be on a clinical trial if they don't want to be uh, just because of the financial benefits. It's a, it's a difficult point, and you, you make it very correctly. So when a person is on a clinical trial, that trial covers certain aspects that are associated with that trial in itself. Um, that may be an inducement, but it's not uh, the primary purpose because one must realize the pluses and minuses of being involved with a clinical trial. And one should ask, and, and usually consent forms outline what expenses are covered and what are not because there may be many very significant expenses that are not. If it's a therapeutic trial treating a specific disease, then, of course, the cost of that medication is typically covered and all testing that's involved and often if hospitalization is involved. But there may be many other significant costs that are not covered. So having a full understanding when on a clinical trial of what's covered and what's not is important, just as the other speakers have mentioned. And then there may be many other significant uh, costs that you need to uh, uh, look forward to. But my emphasis would be go for a clinical trial by all means if it's encouraged by your doctor and uh, and if it makes sense to you. Excellent. Could I just add a comment on top yes, of that? Yes, please. Yes. Um, oh, please, Dr. Saltz. Yes. Yeah, of course, I agree with everything that Dr. Grella said. But let me clarify because we do often get some misunderstanding on this point. A clinical trial cannot create a financial incentive for you to participate. In other words, you can't expect a clinical trial to cover all of your health care costs. And the reason for that is that the institutional review boards <clears throat> have ruled that that would create unfair pressure on you to go on a clinical trial. It would be the equivalent of paying you to go on a clinical trial. And that would um, not be fair in terms of your rights as an individual. So for better or for worse, that is the way it works in the United States. Now, the flip side of that is you should not incur additional costs by going on a clinical trial. 
And so if, as is often the case, the clinical trial is standard care plus an experimental agent, the experimental agent will be provided in, in almost all circumstances, obviously check the details, by the clinical trial itself, whether it's the industrial sponsor or the National Cancer Institute or whatever. Um, and Medicare regulations require that the other aspects of your care be covered. Uh, and, and virtually all insurance companies follow suit on that. So one would hope the ideal circumstance is participating in a clinical trial should be relatively cost neutral. What you do have to bear in mind are the potential hidden costs of needing to travel to specific sites where that clinical trial is. Because if I'm running a clinical trial at my center and you live a, a, a good distance away, um, from a regulatory point of view, I'm not allowed to put that experimental drug in the hands of your local doctor, and therefore you would need to have extra trips and extra traveling to the research center. So these are things to think about. There are always pluses and potential minuses to going on a clinical trial. Um, those of us who uh, work in academic centers deeply believe that patients need to be informed about clinical trials and consider them, um, but we hope that the cost issues will not be a deciding factor. Thank you. Other thoughts from anyone else on the call on that? Okay, so um, definitely you want to talk with your treating healthcare team about this um, and really make the most informed decisions possible. Um, sometimes if there are these other types of costs, there may be other resources to get help for them, so that's important to be aware of as well. Um, and um, another question um, from one of our online uh, callers, and I'm going to give this question to Ms. Italian. Our family is struggling with bills right now, and food prices are climbing higher. I'm considering skipping recommended treatments to save money. Could you comment on that, Ms. Chitalian, in terms of how to get help with food prices and cost of, because we know there's a great deal of what we call food insecurity right now in, in our, has been for a long time, but now very much so. Could you comment on that in terms of resources for, for food and things like that? Sure, absolutely. Um, so this, of course, is a huge concern and challenge for many people. Um, I think that during the pandemic, as well during COVID, this is um, this has increased, unfortunately. Um, of course, you know we we always recommend you know local food banks if they are open. Um, unfortunately, there has been limited access to food and groceries since the start of the pandemic. Um, there are organizations that that may be able to help with some financial assistance, um, could be local organizations or national. Um, some organizations specific to treatment, um, either you know, treatment or um, specific to diagnosis may offer um, some financial assistance that could go towards, you know, daily living expenses as well. Um, something like this, I would definitely say um, if if you're able to, you know, give us a call because we'd be able to explore a little bit further uh, where the person lives, what may be available, and if there's any uh, financial assistance available. Um, during COVID, there's actually been several organizations that have provided relief funds 
Um, unfortunately, this does vary based upon what funding is available or if it's closed out. Um, so, you know, we'd be more than happy to see, see what may, may be available as well. So definitely do, uh, you can use to call Cancer Care to just get that information in terms of where you live and what resources might be available. We might be able to help you as well. Um, thank you. Um, any other comments on that one? And a question for a, a, a lawyer, Ms. Um, Babayeva. Um, so this question is, um, um, I live in a rural area with few choices for care, um, and I've been trying to get a second opinion from a doctor at MD Anderson. I'm on Medicaid, so I don't know how to get the referral out. They have denied my request. Is it worth appealing the decision, and what reason do I give for them to approve my own choice of doctor hospital. Could you comment on uh, the issue of Medicaid and second opinions? And Sure. Thank you for your great question. So uh, Medicaid does often require um, prior authorization for different referrals, and it, it may be worth it to appeal if you can show the reason why you cannot um, get the kind of care that you're looking for from where you're getting it now and why you would need a different, a second opinion. Um, I would still suggest that you speak with someone that is um, specific to your state and uh, because Medicaid rules do vary state to state as well. So what can be covered in one state may not be covered in another. So prior to filing an appeal, I would still recommend a conversation with an expert in your state. Excellent. Thank you. Any other comments about that? Yeah, I'd just like to make uh, one yes. comment. Of course, the coverage is very important, and as uh, has been outlined, uh, differs by different states. I think the world of MD Anderson, it's a fantastic hospital, but there are lots of really good places to get second opinions. So I would also look to see, and maybe uh, uh, your healthcare team and others can recommend uh, institutions that will accept your insurance, be it Medicaid or others, uh, where you can get a, a very, very high quality uh, second opinion. So again, while I uh, honor the choice that, you, uh, that you've made there, there are other really good places too that uh, I would pursue. Excellent. And um, I actually, um, there is one uh, more question here. I'm going to actually take this one um, um, from one of our online. My insurance coverage isn't great. I don't know how I will be able to meet the high deductible. What can I do? I wonder if, um, uh, Ms. McCord, if you could just address the role of copay in a situation sometimes like this. Um, sure. So, you know, as I mentioned through my presentation, there are different types of assistance programs. So, depending on your insurance, if it's private insurance and you are um, taking a, a medication that's you know that that you're finding it challenging to to afford, I would reach out to that manufacturer and just see if they offer assistance. And uh, perhaps you know maybe there is a coupon or a copay program that that can assist you through there. If it's a Medicare, if you have Medicare coverage um, or or Medicare Advantage program, then um, you would probably want to reach out. Uh, to a charity, um, you know, to see if they have a fund available or open for your type of condition. Um, and you might even want to contact your, your insurance company because they might be able, they might know of some resources as well. 
um, certainly you're welcome to call Cancer Care and speak with uh, a case manager or social worker to see if they can kind of guide you through um, the best place to go, you know, to based on your specific situation. And one final question um, is a person who's very concerned about retirement, beat cancer two years ago, had to pay many medical costs. Um, do you have recommendations for seniors? Um, uh, so, um, uh, Ms. Bobby, would you like to take that question in terms of all the programs that are there for seniors right now? Uh, sure. And and do you mean in terms of financial assistance or medical coverage? Um, well, medical. Uh, so medical costs um, had ta had taken her a lot of money out of retirement savings. So is there anything oh. else in addition to that? Oh, I see. I, I didn't understand the question. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, there are different assistance programs that, again, sort of vary state to state. Um, I would recommend going on um, the state website to check what programs you might be eligible for. They could be financial and cash assistance, uh, things like SNAP, which provides food security assistance, and other programs like that. Um, but again, I would suggest going on the state website to take a look to see what you would be eligible for. A lot of them depend on your income and assets as well. Excellent. Thank you. And Nisha Talian, do you want to comment as well and give the Cancer Care 800 number again? Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so we could definitely, you know, take a look at any um, other organizations that do provide limited financial assistance, one-time grants, um, you know, maybe some, you know, government assistance. Um, there are also, you know, associations of aging and elderly um, that have some uh, great resources as well. Um, if you'd like to call Cancer Care and speak to one of our social workers, that number is 1-800-813-4673. Thank you. I actually want to thank all of our speakers. You've been phenomenal. Just an amazing, uh, amazing presentations and amazing responses to all of the questions that people have posed, and then some, of course. Um, I do want to remind you all that um, that we recognize that this is a one-hour program and that you have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour. And so I do want to just remind all of you that um, that we know that you'll have questions, of course, after the call ends, or and there are still questions in queue that we have not been able to answer. Please do contact our, our Cancer Care as a resource. Um, um, you have our 800 number and our website, um, and if you don't have it, you're going to get it when you get the evaluation forms. You can get all that information. Um, but we do offer just so many different services. Um, and we do have a whole case management program that will help with lots of resources that you may be struggling with to find. So it's really important. I want to thank all of you for your participation today. Um, I have to say we've done this program a number of times, and I have to say that the questions today and the, um, the, all of this, the wonderful um, connection between both all of you and our, our speakers has been phenomenal, and um, I want to thank you all. And, and I know that these are difficult times, and I do want you to know there are resources out there for each one of you and that we will find a way to help each of you. So I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a wonderful day.